good morning. <laughs> and welcome to the April 19th, 2022 regular meeting. Um, at this time, we will be going into closed session. Um, clerk, if you could please read out the closed session agenda. Item number one, pursuant to government code section 54956.9D2, conference with legal counsel regarding anticipated litigation, two cases, significant exposure to litigation. At this time, is there any public comment? There is no public comment. And seeing none in the room, we will now convene in the closed session and we will be back here at nine. Thank you. Good morning and welcome back to the regular meeting of April 19th, 2022. At this time, um, we just we, uh, came back from closed session. Um, we have a report out for this closed session and last week's closed session. So I'm going to turn it over to the clerk. Madam Chair, I'm going to start with March 22nd, then move on to April 12th, and then today's closed session. March 22nd, report out of closed session was item number one, pursuant to government code section 54657B1, public employment, title planning director. There was no reportable board action. Item number two, pursuant to government code section 54657B1, public employee performance evaluation, title county, county council. There was no reportable action taken. Item number three, pursuant to government code section 54657B1, public employee performance evaluation, title, county administrative officer, there was no reportable action taken. Report out for the board meeting on April 12th. Item number one, pursuant to government code section 54956.9D1, conference with legal counsel regarding existing litigation, county of Calaveras versus Discornia Ranches Limited Partnership et al., Calaveras County Superior Court case number, 20CV45113, there was no reportable action taken. Item number two, pursuant to government code section 54956.9D2, conference with legal counsel regarding anticipated litigation, one case, significant exposure to litigation, no reportable action taken. Report out from today's meeting, pursuant to government code section 54956.9D2, conference with legal counsel regarding anticipated litigation, two cases, significant exposure to litigation, there was no reportable action taken. Thank you. And with that, if we could please stand for the pledge. Next is staff announcement, and I believe Ms. Medina is online. Good morning, Madam Chair, respective board members, CAO Von Lada, County Council, and Deputy Clerk of the Board, Lisa Medina, Environmental Management Agency. Today, I wanted to let our community know that we have another focus in animal service free microchip and rabies clinic scheduled here at the Government Center for May 14th, Saturday, from 9 to noon. Dr. Michael Hayes will be our attending veterinarian. Uh, 
We are working towards a goal of ensuring that all of our cats and dogs are vaccinated against rabies to protect them against this deadly disease. If you are looking for an animal to add more joy and companionship to your home, we have several dogs, lovely dogs and fun dogs that are currently available for adoption and they would love to be part of your family home. They include Topaz, Samson, Rojo, Roscoe, Bruno, Maya, Bambi, Coda, Mia, Molly, Hank, and Xander, who would love to go home with you. I am still working with our kitties on their glamour shots, so you should be seeing them hopefully by our next board meeting. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Are there any other staff announcement? I do not see anybody else that wants to speak, no. Thank you. Um, next is general public comment. Any item of the any item of interest to the public that is within the subject matter jurisdiction of the board and is not posted on the consent or regular agendas may be addressed during the public comment period. California law prohibits the board from taking action on any matter which is not posted on the agenda unless it's determined to be an emergency by the Board of Supervisors. Is there any public comment? Okay. Is there any online? None online. Okay. Seeing none in the room and none online, we'll move on to consent agenda. Uh, we have multiple items for consent agenda, and is there any, at this time, we'll be pulling item 12 and withdrawing item number 17. Are there any other items that the board wishes to pull from consent? Any staff? Seeing none from staff, is there any public comment? Is there any online public comment? No online public comment. Okay. Uh, with that, is there a motion to approve consent agenda um, with 12 and 17 moved off? So moved, Madam Chair. Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. So item 12 was pulled. Um, I'm sorry, can I just, I just wanted to clarify, Madam yeah. Chair. 17 was withdrawn. staff withdrew from today's agenda. Okay, Correct. and then 12 is being pulled for discussion. Correct. Yeah, yeah, that was pulled. These two were gone. Do I believe there's more? Who do we have online here? Um, believe that a couple of the questions that came up um, regarding uh, Calvis share of this, as well as what exactly are we? Um, share and the money of this um that's one question but i believe lee is online or gabriel which one of you that both uh, yeah well, I mean, uh, uh, good good morning um we uh we have uh, uh lee kimball online and i can provide any uh, answers to the questions because Lee was actually part of the original team that put this um, uh, item together. Now he, uh, she tells me that this has already been before the the board in the past, and certain actions were taken. So what we would want to address this morning specifically is what are the questions uh, or issues that you have. 
Um, I was told by the CAO last night that one of the questions you may have is why is our allocation higher than the allocations for other jurisdictions? And, and, and uh, so Lee Kimball has an answer to that, um, if that is the question you want to ask. But again, um, if you have any other questions, both of us are here. And I think uh, Gina also should be somewhere uh, uh, around because she wrote the staff report for this item to answer any questions uh, that you may have as well. Lee? morning. Uh, uh, to answer the question in regards to the split between the four counties, the amount that is allocated to the counties, I don't know how the state determines how much is provided to each of the counties. When we started this project, Calaveras proposed it with Mariposa. Mariposa had staff expertise and availability to help put the project forward that we didn't have available at that time. They did not, their uh, state allocation was not very big and ours was bigger. But I do want to make sure that you know that this isn't like buying four cars and we're giving three of them to the other counties. There's one product in, in the end, which will be a workbook to help our, just our, our citizens know how to put an ADU on their property so we can get more housing going, and Calaveras will get 100% of the value of this project. Calaveras would not be able to draw down these allocated funds unless we participated in a regional project. We started with Mariposa, and we were required to work with state consultants to develop the project. The state consultants brought Amador and Nevada on board. Tuolumne was invited, but they declined. Amador and Nevada already had projects in development, so they gave a portion of their funding to the project so that as a whole, all counties would benefit equally from having this product available to them. But um, everybody threw in what they could from those that were invited by the state. Mariposa and Calaveras threw in 100% of their allocation. Thank you. Are there any questions from the board? Supervisor Garamendi. Thank you very much, uh, Madam Chair. Welcome, Gabriel and, and Lee. It's good to see you. Um, I went back and checked, and this was an agenda item on, uh, as, as in the item on 19th, on uh, January 19th, 2021. Uh, it was a consent agenda item. It did talk about uh, this H, this, this, um, this ADU handbook, uh, but it wasn't a part of the resolution that was passed, so it wasn't deeply discussed. And I think we all recognize in January of 2021 there was a lot going on in our country and in our boardrooms as we dealt with COVID. I, I, have, I have grave concerns about this. I'd like to know, I have several questions. Um, the first one is other counties are using only a portion to do this. I'd like to know what other ideas they have that we're not doing. Three. I have a hard time justifying spending, you know, up to $344,478 to create a handbook on ADUs when Google pretty much squared me away last night in 10 minutes. Um, just saying. So I'd like to know two questions. What are the other counties doing that we're not? 
And two, how do we justify to taxpayers this amount of money and spending 100% of our allocation, $200,000, to create a handbook when other, you know, and I'd like to know what we're going to receive for this. I, I just have a lot of problems with this, Lee. So let's start with the easy one. What are the other counties doing that we're not doing? I did not prepare an answer for that. I know Tuolumne County gave their funding regionally to their incorporated town of Sonora for, for a project, but I'm not aware of what that project was. And I um, don't, I'm not, I haven't done the research on what other counties are doing. I became very involved on developing it for Calvers County specific as a rural project because Calvers County has 75% of our um, residents are landowners. We have a lot of land. We have arena in our housing element that we need to meet. And we need innovative strategies that will help to get development going in all of the income brackets. This strategy has been proven that where workbooks are available to people who are not commonly developers, that the percentage of return for people actually going through and putting an ADU on their property has a much greater return than when there is no promotion done. And you can get to some workbooks that we will be replicating in urban areas, but there hasn't been one developed for rural areas. And ours will include what financing is available locally, uh, engineers, site development people, and uh, um, prefabricated homes if a person chose to do that that we could get through a pre-permitting process that will be unique to our county. So it will be a, a unique advantage to Calaveras residents will be part of this workbook. The workbooks that we are looking at developing are very, very user-friendly. They're intended to help people who maybe have never really done any construction to be able to move forward and answer the questions of processing and where you get support and financing and all the things to encourage it. And they have been shown to really exponentially improve the return. We don't have a lot of ADU permits going forward, and so we really want to dig into to that potential. And that's the reason for proposing this one. So other counties have, so there are other books like this that exist, is what there you just are, said, right? Yeah, you can see some. In fact, we, right. um, in our LEAP grant have two uh, Civic Sparks fellows who did the research so we could find those workbooks that were best developed and got the best return so that we could replicate it but unique to our county. So we're going to take an existing book, edit it for $344,000. How many units do we expect this $200,000 investment to, to go? Because, and is this, do you really believe that this is the best and highest use of these funds to create housing? I do, and it's because I think that a lot of the development um, proposals that are out there, quite honestly, are very urban, and urban have different barriers, and they have different resources. So when we go to develop innovative projects to improve our development for Calvers County, not us building it, but it making it possible for people to build, we have to look at what unique resources we have, not just our barriers. We're having trouble attracting developers to develop housing in the lower and moderate income. And this really addresses that. ADUs also address our aging population. We have a higher than state average. So people putting a second home on to, to house their 
parents or for them to go in it while they rent out their houses as they age and have a smaller home that they can maintain and have a, an independent life a little bit longer really does fit our demographic and the resources that we have. Lee, uh, and I'll, I'll pass the microphone, but Lee, uh, you didn't answer the question of how many housing units we think, and I appreciate you committing that this is the highest and best use. What are some other uses that we could, could have used this money for when you did your analysis of making this the highest and best use? What are it the options that were out there on the table? Um, there, there was a short turnaround time from the time that I came on board to develop this. So I'm not going to say we explored all of our options. It was 16 months ago we did this. So what, have, what are the options that we've developed? So from the time that I came on board to the time that we had to submit an application, we did not have a lot of time to get a, a ton of options available. And that the funding is only for planning. That's all it's for. It's not for implementation of any project. So this was the one that we proposed that got support from the state. So we so no other options. All right. Madam Chair, I have no further questions, but I will not be supporting this item. Are there any other board supervisor stop it? Not so much as a question as uh, prior to this grant, I mean there, there have been other things that the, had become come before the board and, uh, as possible solutions, and the board had uh, sided with to not to go with those. So, you know, I completely agree with your point, Mr. Garamitti. At the same time, we as a board have limited those in the past on their options also. So just to take that into account as we move forward. No, I, I agree, Mr. Stopper, and, and we have. And we sent them back for better ideas. I believe the last one we had was to give loans to developers. And, and we didn't have other options there. I'm not so sure we're moving the ball down the field. Right, yeah, no. It's not a loan if it's forgivable also, so it doesn't become revolving. I understand completely. Right. Uh, so I, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough issue right, all I the just, way around. I just think I, just, I would like to have ideas that are concrete. I mean, we've talked about, we've talked about having a, meeting at some point a study session of how we can incentivize and create more housing. I mean, we've talked about that multiple times up here. I would just really like to have that conversation. Um, Supervisor Garamendi, I do, and Robert, I do want to say that the prior proposal for loans is a, a totally different pot of money that had 10 allowable activities. We, the one that we're talking about today, uh, was a first round and it was very broad in what could be done and that's why we were required to work with the technical assistance from consultants from the state to help develop a project because they were looking at the best ways to get um, more housing development going. So it, the, the two shouldn't be compared. They're very different funding streams with different parameters. Yeah, I, I just have a, I'm having a hard time like Jack understanding this and how the California state would give out this kind of money just to develop a handbook. Um, so when, if, if I want to put an accessory dwelling on my property, once this is developed, I walk into the building department 
and immediately I'm just handed over a book. No. And here, here's a book. Go read the book and, and then come back. No. Thank you for asking that question because I think that's a misunderstanding. This is an electronic online book that's an interactive workbook. Who our audience that we're targeting are people who are just your everyday landowners. Can now, because the laws have changed in California, can put a second um, housing unit on their property. They, and there are many ways to do it. It can be uh, up to 1,200 square feet. It can be a garage apartment, a separate unit. There's many different ways to do it. What we're finding to get folks who haven't been in construction or development not afraid of the process is other following other counties' leads that have had success with this is creating this interactive that asks the questions that most people who are not in development would need to know about how to get a project going. The return that I would anticipate is from zero to one permits per year for an ADU to 10 to 12 a year. And over 10 years, that takes care of 10% of our arena need. It may be higher than that. Other counties have had success by doing interactive workbooks combined with technical assistance. So you don't walk in to a planning department and not even know what questions to ask. I, I, I hear what you're saying, but I still, regardless if we have this handbook or not, it's going to be up to somebody that wants to put a dwelling on their property, whether it's a garage apartment, whether it's an additional building, whatever, they're, they're still going to have to want to do that. This book isn't going to make them just say, wow, I'm going to do this because I read this book, or I went online and saw this book on, on the county. They're, they're still going to have to have, have interest in order to do it. And to me, we can give that information to them if they come to the counter or they, they have a contractor, most of them are going to have to hire a contractor to do the dwelling and get a building permit. And so that information can be available to them, I would think, without spending this kind of money for a book that explains all that to them. They're, they're still going to have to put a, a dwelling on their property before they even come forward for this. It's, I don't see how this is going to entice them to do that. If they either have the money for it or they don't. Where's the market? So, thank you, though, Lee. Thank you. I would like to say, Supervisor Tofanelli, that that the studies um, don't agree with that. There have been studies done in communities that are using interactive workbooks where people are curious but don't know where to ask the questions. This gets them informed enough that they now can move forward. And remember, our workbook will address financing and other ways to get the project going cost-benefit ratios, calculators, things that really answer the deeper questions to take some of the fear of developing a second home on your property out. And the studies are showing that there's quite a good return on before and after how many permits go out for ADUs once there is this um, technical assistance available. And where, where is that information located that you're quoting that we can look to see that the, the that it does increase the I do have a graph. I don't have it at my fingertips, but I could email it to you later today if you would like me to do that. Okay. Thank you. I'd appreciate it if you would. Thank you. Sure. Supervisor Calloway. Ms. Kimball, thank you for the explanation. I think listening to my colleagues and all, we're getting caught up in the word workbook. And um, 
we need to move forward and we need to take some creative action on trying it and I guess I've seen you come before us and I've spoken with you and we, we talk the talk but we don't walk the walk and um, I feel like we need to support the efforts and take your recommendation on this. Um, I also got caught up in the word workbook and you know a 25 page booklet that we hand out and in listening to you it's a lot more sophisticated than that and um, I will uh, overlook the word workbook and uh, support your recommendations. But it is a workbook. I so know, today, but today, I what? How can we overlook? That's what it well, is. Well, it is, but I mean, she said it's an good interactive. Point. Supervisor Garamendi, good point. She said it's interactive. I'm it's interact not as if I'm going to the counter and getting something on um, a 10 page document. And today, what's before all of you is not the project. That resolution to pursue an EDU workbook was actually before you earlier and was passed. And the, the contract has been That's signed by the state. So that what, what's before you today is the MOU with Mariposa, who is taking the lead in getting the calls and the project quotes from the consultants. The funding is to pay the consultant to develop this for us and, and to allow us to pay through Mariposa as a fiscal agent for these services. I, I, I just want to point out that the, the resolution on the 19th of January 2021 did not speak to the handbook. The agenda item did. So um, that's not exactly correct. It's partially correct. Okay. Are, there any Are you other? seeing Mariposa County is implementing this for us? There is a lead in when we hire a consultant by four counties, only one county has the contract with the consultant. So Mariposa has agreed they put out the request for pro uh, projects to get the quotes and they would be the fiscal agent paying with all four counties contributing their portion towards that payment. And that's what this MOU is for. Are there any other questions? Okay, I have a couple questions for you. Um, in this workbook, are we adjusting the high and low elevations and the differences of ADUs to be built? Because let's use um, Supervisor Calloway's um, district. There's certain, there are different requirements with the snow um, that are going to be drastically different for contractors that is in Supervisor Stopper's district. Um, those are basic questions that no one really thinks about um, unless there's snow on the ground. Um, the other question is um, how are we factoring utilities? Because we, we all want, want it, we want options, but we can't 
support this without the partnership of utility districts, and if they do not have the capacity to hold to hold these ADUs on their systems, we're in another issue, which goes back to the question of Supervisor Garamendi's um, question of how do we really look at this robustly? I mean, are we tackling the issue that's going to really move us ahead in meeting the elements of housing? Because until the infrastructure is fixed, we can sit here all day long and support these, but we don't have a foundation to support support that long long-term goal. Absolutely, hear you. Excellent point. So the utilities districts has a quarterly meeting and um, have volunteered to be part of the development of this project unique to our needs. And it, it, we're, while we're following ideas that have been created by urban. We are making this specific to the exact questions you're talking about in our rural areas. The elevation, bike development is different, septic systems and other things that urban areas aren't going to be addressing will be part of what's in there that will help take all of that complexity to a level that we can connect um, to local engineers, local vendors, local utility districts to participate in this. And the utility districts are already aware of this project and, and have asked to be part of it. I, I'd also just like to uh, let you all know, this was the first round for this type of funding for California. Round two is coming up and will be not just planning, but implementation. So. I'm very much hoping that as we sit at the table and discuss options, because now we have time for round two, that we'll be able to partner with our utility districts to look at what infrastructure is needed to open up hopefully whole corridors with this funding that will make more development possible. Uh, and then one last, <laughs> one last question or comment. Um, this could have been changed by now, but my understanding is that most ADUs in this county are subject to the same permit fees of a new construction house of 7,000 square feet. So are we addressing in this, in this the matrix to make this actually affordable? Because this, the square footage is, is different. And to my knowledge, we have not addressed that in this county. And that that's recently done. That is not part of this project. So any fee changes is a bigger conversation that is not part of this project. And that includes RIM because road impact mitigation, other impact mitigation, is that going to be addressed in this workbook as well? Because those I'm are some sure. of the foundation, foundation structural that unless this is going to work, we have not addressed internally at this and so it's even if we get this we have no way to properly affordably implement this workbook and those are the concerns that i have i understand the higher the higher level of where we're going at but i'm not going to be dancing out in front of the board chair saying, hey, we have this workbook now when we haven't even addressed the internal control to make this workbook achievable. And so we need to figure, if, after today, we need to figure out how to bring that back and make this an overlap because 
with all due respect, you're not going to be successful in accomplishing this if we don't address these issues right here. And I know it's a broken record, but things that are the hidden cost of these housing element implementations that we're not talking about. Madam Supervisor, if I may chime in a little bit. From, from the little I've heard, I think there are some significant concerns about this particular item going forward. One of the questions that I would like to provide to the Board of Supervisors is, one, uh, the number of uh, ADUs that we could actually get uh, with, this, with this handbook. Number two, we, we understand that ADUs are mandated by the state, but I need to figure out whether or not uh, how much the building department would actually charge for a permit to build an ADU. That is a question that, that, that I think uh, you would like to know. Number three, some of the other associated issues with development, uh, are those addressed uh, as part of this particular grant? And, and it seems like uh, the answers are not very, very precise. So um, with your indulgence, I, I think what we need to do is, is to backtrack a little bit and, and, and provide you with, with the precise information that you want so that next time you see this item, you'll feel uh, more confident uh, as to uh, which direction really you want to go. And if it's one of those projects whereby, you know, the, 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 the cons outweighs the pros, then, then I think we can, address, we can address those. Because I've heard from at least three of the supervisors, four of the supervisors, and it seems like there is a, a bit of reservation as to, one, the amount, which is being justified by the fact that this is what we asked for. We're putting in 100% of our allocation into this. Number two, how many ADUs are we actually going to get? Uh, one thing I can tell you is that I don't think uh, the number of ADUs uh, is going to solve our, our arena. Uh, allocation. I mean, that, that's a fact. We're not going to build ADUs and, and, and meet arena numbers. There has to be a mixture of other development, you know, high density, medium density, low density, etc., etc. So from an arena standpoint, there is, uh, there, is, there, is a, there is an effect. So we need to measure specifically what that effect is. Uh, this gives us, over uh, realizing that our housing element is over an eight-year period, uh, how many ADUs are we actually going to build by the time the housing element cycle ends that will satisfy our, our, our arena numbers? So these are some of the issues that I think uh, we need to resolve unless that this information has already been provided uh, somewhere in the past and we need to go and revive them and, and, and bring them back and, and be able to provide you with, with, a, more, with a more robust uh, presentation. Jean, uh, Lee, uh, do you have, um, you have any comments about that? I'd be very happy to get specific questions that we can come back with to, to answer this. What I would say is we have three other counties in the state partnering with us on this and 
uh, the project has been greatly delayed. So if we're not going to do this, we have to also consider consequences to our partnership. <clears throat> Which is where I'm going to go, Madam Chair, if I can. Yep. Uh, you know, whether the uh, information was fully provided January 1st last year or not, we did, we did vote to uh, move forward with this. At that point, this is the first round of REAP funds. Um, with uh, other rounds of REAP funds coming in, in the future, th those will be contingent on how successful we go through the process with this original round. Um, some, <clears throat> some of the things Madam Chair brought up are kind of like apples and oranges in, in my mind on it. But the final point she has is absolutely correct. We, and I think Mr. Garamini brought it up earlier is we've asked to, to have a study session on, on, on these type of issues. It hasn't been brought forward to us. I'm not pointing any fingers any which way, but as we move forward as a county, we need to have this broad, broad conversation. That way, the, the staff has the intent of the board moving forward in mind. And I think that's the point that Ms. Follendorf was getting to, um, and I completely agree with it. At this point, um, I hear the concerns of the board. I, a lot of them are mine. I mean, I, I would not spend $200,000 on this type of workbook and then, you know, have it linger there because how do we present this to the people across the county? You know, um, it's, that I have issues with it. But as we move forward, I think that we could put ourselves in parity of future money that if we do not implement this properly, because we already went through the process with the state to get this grant and we are working and coordinating with other counties. So I'm torn both ways on this issue, but I, you know, I, I gotta say, we gotta be cautious when we just shoot something like this down because in the future, it could bite us when we go in for something that the board actually wants. Supervisor Calloway, you like John? Yeah, I mean, part of the issues that I think um, you brought up would not be addressed in this. For example, we have a rim fee. Doesn't mean that all counties have a rim fee. So that would be a separate issue. In terms of the building codes on higher elevations, lower, that's under the uniform building code. So the actual physical structure is a separate issue than what is before us. And I feel that those issues or the costs and so forth would be dealt with through the building department. And we control the fees. And if we decide we don't want whatever the fee is now for an ADU, we want it to be less, then that's our decision that's not a decision that would come under uh, this workbook. I have to choke on the word. Um, so I agree with <clears throat> Mr. Stopper that I think it's in our best interest to support this. 
and the issues that you brought up regarding building codes, the REM fee, fees are something that we would discuss as a separate issue and can be done at any time. We did discuss the concept of ADUs when the housing element was brought before us. So we've been talking about it, if I heard Supervisor Garamendi, since over a year. And it's time we do something to move forward. I too choke on the money because I have a hard time understanding the concept of what Ms. Kimball's saying with the words that I'm reading. She's brought more clarity to it. And um, I think the issues are different and need to be dealt with differently. I don't expect this to deal with building codes and fees. I disagree with both Supervisor Stopper and Callaway on that. I think they do go hand in hand because the everyday person that's going to walk in the door do not understand the hidden cost of what it takes to build something. Most of them already live in a house that's already built, and when they're ad looking to add on and expand and put another building, most do not realize the hookup fees. The, and while we don't control that, the special districts do, or the room fees, or the school fees, it, it does come up. And whether we want to, it, is, it may be separate, but when you're trying to educate your constituents that have no idea, we are lucky, we understand that because we deal with it all the time. It's not going to be, they are, those are not the questions they are going to know to ask. And so if we are going to be getting the big bang of this buck of 200000 my expectation is we've got to educate them from the top down and everything in between. Otherwise, we're still paying 200000 for what? To then still show up to the counter and be like, oopsie, by the way, there's this. You've got to go ask the school board on why they on another impact fee, or you've got to go talk to Public Works on the rim. So it, it, there is overlap. They might be oranges and apples, but they're still part of the educational process of, of when they're calculating the cost factor of what this reality is going to be to add another building. If I may, Madam Chair. Um, so I just, um, to take a step back, I think it's good to keep in mind that what you all are discussing these two things are not mutually exclusive and we can bring back a study session um, I remind the board that one of the items we'll be discussing next month is uh, the proverbial study session on study sessions and that is to in fact set Q3 and Q4 of the calendar year study sessions um, so pending your direction we can certainly get it a study session on the big picture of this and um, what the full fee structure um, to use Chair Fallendorf's expression, the hidden costs of development for ADUs um, on the one hand and address uh, your board's concerns in, in those respects and still um, move this item forward such that the funding isn't lost and whatever future funding is available for actually implementation as opposed to preparation um, is still on the table for us as a county um, and uh, and take a, a two-pronged attack toward getting to where I think I'm hearing where your board wants to be. Supervisor Gamendi. Thank you. And I'll, I'll stop beating on this horse here in a second. But um, I, I, 
a proverbial study session on study sessions. We had one of those in January, and we came up with a list. I'm pretty sure, I don't have the list in front of me. I'm willing to bet this was on the list. Um, I, I actually beg to differ. Um, okay. Supervisor Garamendi, it's not. Well, I would, I'd be curious what's on that list and how we're going through that. Um, I want to point out that we're spending $200,000. That's the fully weighted cost of a chief building official. So if we have to do planning and we're talking about all these things, cost and everything, perhaps there were other options that we could have used on this. I want to point out that we're talking about, I hope we've got in this proposal to print the book, uh, even though we're talking about, I'm, I'm guessing that we're talking about a print book, although it's a digital world. So we'd have to find a way to host it and post it. And, and finally, you know, I just, this is what I talked about before when we had housing issue. I want to see some creativity. We need, what's traditionally worked is not working for our county. We need to figure, we need some good new ideas to figure out how to break this thing loose. And, and that's, what I, that's what I would like to expect from, from staff is some good ideas, new ideas, things we haven't thought of. We have to change, we have a losing game, we have to change the game. That's all I got. I, I concur with you, Mr. Garamendi. Uh, we have to be creative, and that, that's us. I mean, with staff working with us. And, and uh, I've sat down and talked to uh, <clears throat> our chief building official, Mr. Oliver, about this quite a bit recently, about broadly, about everything in the county, you know, and how just personally my perspective, not necessarily the board's perspective as a whole. And, you know, um, I think he has full intent. We uh, have a new planning director, uh, and that needs to be part of the conversation as we move forward, both of them along, along with Ms. Kimball. So I think that um, we didn't necessarily put that on our priorities for study sessions in January, but I think right now the board's asking for it to be a priority. That's what I'm hearing. I, I have a couple questions. Yes. Marina had a right on first. Ms. Kimball, is there a way we could use part of the 200 uh, to finance the right? No, none of the, fun none of this funding in round one was for anything other than regional planning projects. So that makes sense when you're in an urban county with a lot of incorporated cities to do. It's a little tougher to do in rural counties that sometimes have no incorporated or one incorporated to figure out what that region would look like. So for the state, this was a very creative and innovative proposal, very rurally focused. Um, the funding that's coming up in round two does allow implementation. We could, through this or through PLHA funds in the next round, ask to change to be able to help with fees or other ways to incentivize financing. And the fee schedule will be part of the book. There, this is, uh, the way these workbooks work is they're layered, so you kind of get the enticing, drawing the curiosity in, and then you work your way down into the harder questions that you wouldn't start off with. It. So people are fully informed on things they might not even know how, how to ask, on hidden costs and site development and things that would not necessarily be part of a homeowner's understanding. Okay, if we don't approve of this, uh, what is the possible ramifications to us for 
phase two oh. and so forth. Thank you. So my understanding is what's before you today is the memorandum of understanding so that we can pay for our portion of the project through Mariposa, reimburse them for the cost. If you are asking us to return the funds to California and not do this project at all, I would say besides that these monies that are allocated to Calveras will be lost to other counties, we'll also not have done a good job as partners, we spent quite a bit of project developing this, not only with HDD, but with three other counties. And, and partnerships are important, in, important resource, especially in rural areas, to developing projects. So to me, that's a, a huge concern. Because right now, the project stands as having been approved and the contract has been signed with the state, but we haven't made the MOU or the Memorandum of Understanding with Mariposa so that that they can go ahead and hire and pay the consultant to get the project going. Baita? Yes. Um, what is, Lee, is there a time frame for this to be completed? Do we, do we have, uh, like? It's a one year, so we're hoping by fall to be done. Um, uh, I brought on two Civic Sparks fellows. These are, uh, college graduates new into the professional world who have been doing the background research because the state was very late in getting us our contract. So we've been doing the research specific to Calaveras so that it's ready. That's how I know we have the graph showing that this actually has been very successful. We did some research on other counties that have done workbooks and looked at what they're doing so we know what we want to do and what we don't want to do in ours. Also, we've started an outreach plan um, and uh, website development that we've done so that as soon as this is published, we have, we're ready to roll with Google and Facebook ads to get people who are asking questions anywhere in Calaveras to our website so that they can get to this workbook. So there's already uh, a lot of work already in motion. Is, is there um, a public outreach for comments? included in this process of going forward if we vote today to, to, to do this would, would you have public meeting would you have public outreach for their input or or education or anything like that we have a strategic outreach plan absolutely going and we're starting to develop a website page for for this so we're already in motion on putting those parts together okay sounds what, like what we don't have is the consultant developing it and putting the content that's unique to our four counties. Uh, understood. It sounds like we have a lot of time invested in this, staff does. And is that being covered by the 10000 that's in this grant for administrative costs? Yes. So we're already tapping it. Okay. I, I'm, Lee, I'm going to support you. Thank yeah, you. I have, some, I have some qualms about the money that Jack has brought up, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to support you. Um, to go through with it and send me the information that showed how this will help and the statistics in it to me so I can look at that. But I, I will support you going forward. Thank you. Are there any other board comment before I bring it to public comment? Is there any public comment? There is no public comment. Okay. Seeing none in the room, bring it back to the board. Um, Madam Chair, yes. Um, you know, I I think Gary said it very clearly. 
I, I, I hear explicitly what Mr. Garamendi is saying, and I, I agree with him. But a matter of caution, we made a deal and, and already with other counties to move forward. Um, you know, and this could jeopardize with the fact that this could possibly jeopardize us moving forward on REAP funds in the future that we could apply in the way we want. I will make a motion to approve and authorize the board chair to sign a memorandum of understanding between the Calaveras, Mariposa, Nevada, and Amara counties, formalizing respective responsibilities to implement the REAP regional project. Motion is there a second? I'll make the second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? Nay. 4-1. Item is approved on a 4-1 vote of the board. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Lee. Thank you, everyone. I appreciate that. Okay. Um, with that, we're going to take a uh, five-minute break here, and then we will um, convene to the uh, regular agenda. Thank you. Welcome back. Um, at this time, we will go to regular agenda item number 19, as we have withdrawn item number 18. Clerk. Item number 19 is an informational item from the administrative office to discuss and provide staff direction regarding fleet management. Madam Chair, members of the board, Crystal and Letta, administrative office. It is my great pleasure to um, present <coughs> assistant CAO Marcus Munoz, analyst Jamie Barger, and uh, their initial presentation to this board. Um, so uh, um, welcome. Thank you both so much for all of your hard work on this. I'm very excited to see you present to the board for the first time. And with that, I will turn it over. Good morning, Madam Chair and members of the board. Um, as discussed, we're bringing towards or bringing forward to you the topic of fleet management. We're going to go over the background um, of fleet management, uh, give you an overview of our county fleet considerations, and then discussion with hopefully some high-level um, direction from your board on what you would like us to pursue going forward. With the background, you generally have three different model types for fleet management. You have a centralized, a decentralized, and a hybrid. A centralized fleet is usually with a fleet manager and department that runs the entire fleet. You have decentralized, which is what Calaveras County has currently, which is ran by individual departments. And then you have a hybrid where general fund departments um, usually have a pooled fleet and then the um, non-general departments run their own fleet with some special factors in there depending on funding. Currently we have, and um, the majority of these vehicles should be um, non-specialty vehicles. So we're not talking the dump trucks, water trucks, um, but it does include sheriff's vehicles, probation. Um, so we currently have over 300 vehicles in our fleet. Um, roughly purchase value is over $10 million. 
190 of those are by the general fund, um, which equal about 6.5 million, a little over, and then 130 are owned by non-general fund departments, um, which is just over 3 million. In service age, so this isn't necessarily the vehicle age, but in which the county put the vehicle into service. Um, we have over 60 vehicles that are 20 years or older. We have 100 that are 10 to 19 years of age, 40, over 45 vehicles that are between six and nine years, over 100 vehicles that are five years or younger. We did look a little bit into mileage. Um, our public works department, they tend to put the most miles on their vehicle. Most of their vehicles are retired at over 200 miles uh, or 200,000 miles. Um, some of our other departments are on the lower side. Um, they get retired at 20 years or older with 60 to 80,000 miles on average. Um, so they're not driven as much. Um, the majority of our vehicles are owned. Public Works, however, does lease eight vehicles. I did want to talk to surplus a little bit. So this last fiscal year, um, the county surplus 63 vehicles. 20 of those were from general fund departments, which gave us back um, $31,614, which on average was about $1,500 per vehicle that we got back for the general fund. 43 of those were non-general fund departments. That was over $228,000 that was brought back, but some of those were larger item equipment, so it's not as comparable to the general fund surplus vehicles. Current issues. We currently have no defined fleet management policy and procedures, um, so there's no requirements with vehicle utilization and minimum use. There's no vehicle replacement guidelines. There's no repair expenditure limits, no vehicle acquisition limits, and no maintenance or repair schedule. Um, there's too many vehicles in our fleet. There's several vehicles, I know you guys have seen them, that just sit out in our parking lots um, and don't get utilized. There could be um, a need or ability to share some of those vehicles that aren't being as utilized um, or transfer them to a department that has a need to utilize it even more. Um, we also have a redundant of vehicles. There's some examples um, like the custodians use their cars after hours, so do they need their own vehicle or could they utilize a vehicle that's being utilized by a different department? There's other departments that occasionally need a vehicle, like admin, for example, we may drive a vehicle three to four times a year. Do we need our own vehicle or could it be shared with another department? Considerations, vehicle standardization. Um, this could be done with looking at the optimal match of needs and resources and opportunities for consolidating and pooling of vehicles. Um, this could be looked at through two ways, um, a fleet sizing evaluation and a fleet, a fleet assessment to really find out what the county needs um, and what it would look like to accomplish that. Um, a vehicle life cycle management process, this would increase vehicle use and improve efficiency. Um, looking at that minimum use, again, if you're having a car that's only being driven 2,000 miles a year, that's not the optimal use of that vehicle um, and is the maintenance being done. Um, and then vehicle replacement guidelines, um, looking at conditions, miles, age, and repair expenditure limits to make sure you're getting the fullest, um, the fullest use out of the vehicle, life, life cycle out of the vehicle. <clears throat> We wanted to just talk briefly on lease versus own. There are some pros um, when it comes to leasing, that optimal match of needs and resources. That talks to you have a higher buying value when you're leasing multiple vehicles at one time. 
um, the chance of you getting that vehicle sooner is greater versus those one-off vehicles. And I know our sheriff's office has talked a lot about um, supply issues. So leasing would help reduce some of that. You do have a, re a higher resale value. So in talking earlier that the general fund cars generally got about $1,500 in return when you're reselling it at the end of the life, which was six years, I believe, um, you're getting 8,000 towards your next lease. So you're getting a way bigger um, bang for your buck, if you will. Um, a reduction in maintenance costs because you're turning over cars more frequently. You're not putting as many repairs on them. You're not having to buy as many tires, um, especially if you've done the assessment and we don't have as many as we have now, um, you'll get more use out of vehicles. Um, efficient replacement schedules, so you ha won't have to wonder why departments are surplusing the vehicles that they're surplusing. Um, and then a, definitely a decrease in vehicle um, clutter. Cons could be an initial upfront cost, depending on how many cars we would want, to, if lease was an option, um, how many cars you would want to lease up front. Um, you saw that you don't get necessarily a big resale value in what we have currently, so there would be some initial costs if we look towards that model. Future needs and recommendations. Electric vehicles and infrastructure. This is a huge topic in the state of California. Um, as most know, by 2035, the state of California is mandating that all new vehicles are electric. Um, with that, um, in an effort to implement and phase in electric charging stations, the, our office will work with our partner, COG, um, COG is working to identify the county's charging station's um, infrastructure needs and also identify locations in which those would best be suited. Um, so it's a, definitely an, on, or an ongoing discussion um, and need. And then backtracking to that lease option, if you're looking at lease vehicles, that's another way that you, we can slowly start implementing some of these electric vehicles into our fleet through the lease, um, lease option so we can get there sooner than later. Um, another recommendation, again, is that needs assessment. What does our county really need for fleet? Um, and what does that look like going forward, especially with the management and looking at that centralized, decentralized, and hybrid model? Um, first and foremost, I definitely think a fleet management policy and procedures is really needed to look at that life cycle um, of vehicles, why are vehicles being purchased, how frequently are they being purchased, how often are they being maintained, all of that. And then again, potentially looking at that pooled vehicle um, option. And at that point, we open it up. Was there anything you thought I missed? No, thank you, Jamie. Um, we're open for questions. If you have any uh, additional questions you'd like to ask about our fleet. Supervisor Gamendi. Um, actually, Supervisor Stopper has let him for me, but <clears throat> nice presentation, Jamie. I spoken well. Um, I have a little experience with uh, working with the lease fleet uh, w with another special district, and in that experience, um, like larger utility vehicles that tend to you know you you start putting boxes for the mechanics on, on certain vehicles for public works. Or even the sheriff's department, where the, you know the situations they put themselves on, they're very hard on. So there's a high, high level of maintenance uh, that, if you own the vehicle, falls back on the whoever's maintaining it. Uh, 
do these lease options that you're looking at right now include that maintenance with the lease? Because, you know, typically what I'm seeing from the other side is that's, so there's a continued savings over time mm -hmm. as another one of the benefits. Is yes. that part of yes. it? So you could do both. So there are two options where you could do the maintenance through them and they identify a shop that the vehicles are able to go to. Um, they are willing to work because they know we're in a rural county. So if there's a shop that's not on their preferred vendor list, you can that shop can work with them to get on that preferred vendor list. Uh, but yes, that maintenance can definitely be included in that package. Yeah, because like with the mechanics for, for uh, public works, for example, F550s, you put those boxes on, they got those lift cranes on them for he heavy equipment that they're working on and everything else. And regardless of how well the truck's built, it still it still breaks down, especially with the new smog laws that apply to to these diesels and everything else. So Public Works did offer theirs since they have their own shop. Their lease didn't include the maintenance package because they have their own shop. But if you were looking, for example, let's say facilities was going to be leased vehicles, we would look at having an outside shop part of that package that would just maintain, and then facilities would make sure they're doing their so that's where the question comes in so you know with public works offering their mechanics and their shop to be the shop of choice at that point is the leasing company paying them paying them to fix the lease the lease vehicles because they aren't owned by us no so they just didn't get the maintenance and Mark, Kim's I could probably talk better to it to make sure I'm saying this right. From my understanding, is they just opted out of that maintenance package, so they are paying. So it's not included in their lease, but they are paying for maintenance. So it's just separate on that. Yeah. As we move forward with this discussion, I'd be curious to see what the difference on those numbers yeah, are. Definitely. Because um, we pay quite a bit of money every year working on our vehicles, and there's a lot of vehicles that Public Works has that they can work on that aren't necessarily on this list because the heavy equipment, uh -huh. I assume, is not Correct. part of that. And one thing I want to point out about um, shops that you do have to be on the required, on the preferred maintenance, uh, the preferred vendor list. And so not all of our shops are on that. Uh, we have, in fact, I think very few shops, so we would have to work with the vendor in order to get our local vendors on that list. Once we get one of our local vendors on the list, I would assume that's a mechanic shop. You know, at that point, they would see a benefit in the economy as they are getting more. They're getting more trucks and work and paid by paid by the leaser. You're creating that partnership. The leaser, yeah. Supervisor Garamendi. Yeah, thank you very much. That was a good presentation. Uh, Three hundred vehicles. That's almost one for every other employee we've got. Um, so. I appreciate wanting to get this under control. Um, uh, what is our feedback? We've had a lease program, uh, this board supported with Enterprise Public Works. Has that been a success? Yes, Mark really likes it. And one of the big things that he talked to is that ability to get a number of cars at one time where, again, that buying that one off, the supply and demand just isn't great. Um, so you do usually at the beginning of the year go in with that buying power. Um, and he also said, which I was unaware, that some of those vehicles can be outfitted. So just because we're leasing doesn't mean that we can't outfit it to fit some of the needs. 
I don't know that you'd want to lease a patrol car, but it's definitely something that you know can be explored. Right. Well, I, I would certainly understand. You know, you're probably not going to get greater <laughs> from Enterprise, and you may not get a squad car. But who knows? Maybe they maybe they do have those resources. But they buy in bigger quantities than we do. Exactly, especially with the you know just the lack of um, supply right now. I, I certainly support uh, what we're talking about here. And when we have a policy, uh, when will this board see our new auto, our new car policy? That is something we're currently working on. Um, we So the policies themselves uh, are going to be tailored to the model we eventually move towards. While most of them cross over models, there will be some tweaks that will be necessary depending on which model we choose or, or which model we decide to move forward with. Um, but overall, um, that is something we're trying to do before the end of the calendar year. Okay, so we'll see this policy updated before the end of the calendar year? Yes. Okay, and will we take that into it? Will we be able to account for any of that? that go into the next fiscal year uh, planning, or is it going to come into this fiscal year? Because I'm sure we've got cars coming up in this fiscal year's budget from different departments. Yes, we have several requests for vehicles that will be in this year's, uh, in this year's recommended budget. We... Uh, do not anticipate having the policies and procedures done before then, because that's right around the corner, but we will definitely look at um, writing these policies and procedures and then implementing them shortly after. And this, we we haven't still haven't approved a purchasing policy yet, have we? No. Not at this no. time. So will this be coming at the same time since it's similar? Or purchasing, I know, has been on the list for as long as I've been here. Yeah. Um, so. Purchasing has indeed, um, Supervisor Garamendi, been on the list for some time and it has not fallen off of our radar. However, we're looking at this as more of a standalone that will be integrated with the ultimate purchasing ordinance and policy. But um, at this point, um, this is a separate discussion. Okay. I, I see Mark joined. Does he have anything? I mean, I, that's all my questions. I don't know if he wanted to comment on the enterprise agreement. Uh, so thank you for the, for the opportunity, Supervisor. Um, uh, we actually have been very successful with our enterprise program. Um, there is some, some obviously some uh, challenges uh, with the current state of the availability of vehicles. You know, with the purchase of vehicles, there's obviously supply chain issues. That also extends to the lease uh, of vehicles. So we had uh, a meeting this morning, our road superintendent, our equipment superintendent, myself, and uh, our representative from Enterprise. One of the things that we found is that the order banks aren't opening up for, <clears throat> excuse me, for vehicles for next year. So, for instance, they anticipate some opening in October for certain models of Ford. Um, so between now and then, we can't order any of those. Um, and then once the order banks do open in October, if if that's truly when it happens, uh, the likelihood of receiving those vehicles that we would order in October. Um, wouldn't hit until probably sometime next summer. So there are challenges with both, you know, with with purchasing and uh, leasing right now. But so far, the program, aside from the supply chain issue, uh, has been pretty successful for us. Supervisor Callaway. Thank you. I have um, several questions of the non-general funds run their own <clears throat> fleet um, can that be part of shared vehicles and do they lease do they own 
Right, so when it comes to purchasing vehicles, typically uh, the non-general fund uses grant funding or funding that has certain restrictions on it. Um, so for example, I think of our mental health department, right. um, they can only purchase vehicles that are used and providing the services for mental health. So we could not pull those vehicles into a general fleet. So HHSA has quite a few vehicles that are just sitting in the parking lot. Can they share among them? Sells if they're HHSA units? Yes, uh, and currently, so HHSA themselves has roughly 59 vehicles total, and that includes their social services, mental health, public health departments, and they do utilize the vehicles within the department. So, for example, social services has roughly 25 to 30 of those vehicles. They use them within that department and they share amongst those folks. Um, if another department was to use those vehicles, they could always allow them to, but do a chargeback for the mileage used. So if mental health wants to use a social services vehicle, they have to do a chargeback? They could, but mental health does have their own fleet as well to utilize those vehicles. Okay, so, so here we have a, a department that has a lot more vehicles than what they utilize, and other either non-general fund or general fund departments cannot use those vehicles, correct? So they do, they do share currently. So we just had, when we took the last surplus item to the board, um, HHSA presented a vehicle first and said, would any other department like this vehicle before we surplus it? And at that time, facilities <laughs> stepped up and jumped on the opportunity to have this vehicle and then get one of their fleet. What I think we could talk about in this purchase or in the fleet policy and procedures is making sure that departments aren't sitting on vehicles and that, that's kind of where that minimum use comes in. That if you're not driving, let's say 10,000 miles a year on this car, do you really need this car? Is there another department that could utilize this car for 10,000 miles a year? Are you maintaining it? So keeping those parameters would help keep them not just having a vehicle get cobwebs in the parking lot. Does that make sense? So, yeah, it's not the getting rid of, it's the utilization. Mm -hmm. So part of the policy that Marcus and I were looking at is we would want that minimum utilization. We don't want cars that are just being driven a thousand miles a year. It seems like that's not needed. There's probably another vehicle that's being driven 3,000 miles a year. So then combine that, you only need that one vehicle and that's part of that needs assessment, we really need to find out, okay, how many vehicles does HHSA really need? How many vehicles are being driven every single day? How many are being driven a couple times a week? And then how often are very often whatsoever? Now there might be a specialty vehicle that might have to be an exception, like the you were talking about the special uh, van with the lift that might not be driven as much as something else, but you would take into effect because it's a little bit more of a specialty vehicle. So I do want to point out, so HHSA, um, so it is more human nature. When you go out to a parking lot, you see a 2022 vehicle versus a 2006 vehicle. The first vehicle you're inclined to go to is the 2022. So hence, it creates this, uh, once you hit a certain point, less mileage being put on vehicles. And that's why Jamie is speaking to having a certain mileage recommendation that needs to be uh, utilized per vehicle. Um, However, it doesn't mean HHSA is not utilizing their vehicles. They do have a 2013 vehicle, which is 
right around 200,000 miles. And so it is being utilized very often. Um, but there are all the specialty vehicles. For example, they have a truck that they use uh, in emergencies to pull the trailers or when they have to provide services to a client that requires the use of a truck. Um, but when you look at that, that vehicle is a 2014 and it's only 20,000 miles. So there is a big disparity on the use of vehicles and that's why we are looking to implement policies uh, regarding um, how many miles are actually used in each year. Do we have a system in place that um, determines the operating cost of a vehicle? So every time the tires are changed or the oil is changed or, oops, I need to go in and get something mechanically done because you could have a vehicle at 100,000 miles that's costing you a lot more to operate than 200,000. But we don't have a way to track that, do we? Correct. The larger departments do have somebody who generally um, oversees the fleet. So for example, HHSA, they do have an individual who tracks all of those expenses. Every year at budget time, they review to see how much money they're putting in to each vehicle. If it is a high cost vehicle, that's when they look at surplusing them out and purchasing a new vehicle. Um, some departments, though, on the flip side of that, typically if it's the smaller department, uh, they may not have that person, so that may not be we have looked at, in some of the policies that we looked at in researching, um, that table that would do the life of a vehicle, so what year it is and what is the appropriate um, amount that can be billed per year to fix it and at what point does it you know, cost more your right to have in the fleet than not and at that point then it would be surplus. But is that generic or is that specific to a vehicle? So the, let's take the general, let's just take general fund department. And they all have vehicles. Do we know the cost to operate each specific vehicle? We don't. Currently, no. I can't believe we don't have a system in place. I mean, there's ones you could buy off the shelf <clears throat> that helps you manage the cost of a vehicle. So I guess I'd, it's like, need I'd like to see that. Um, <clears throat> also, um, and I kind of sent that in to Mark. What about allowing employees to drive their own vehicle? I mean, they get X amount per mile. They give the county a copy of the insurance with the county of a named insured. That way, if they stop at the grocery store or pick up their kids or go to the post office or stop and have a beer after work, they're in their own vehicle. They're not in a vehicle that's got a seal on it. Right. Currently, we reimburse employees at uh, 58 and a half cents per mile. Um, so it, just a simple math, at a $35,000 vehicle, roughly, I mean, you reach that amount pretty quickly. So it, it is, I'm trying to do the, the math in my head right now, but. It is essentially 60,000 miles to hit a $35,000 vehicle. So at the same amount of me putting 60,000 miles on a vehicle, if I was to reimburse employees, they would cancel out. And that is strictly not taking in the maintenance or taking in uh, Right, but they're paying, the employee is paying for the maintenance of the vehicle. The employee is paying for the insurance. And we're just reimbursing them whatever the IRS rate is. Right, the 58 so, shouldn't that not be an option that we give? 
at, at looking at some vehicles going 200,000 miles versus us hitting that threshold at, at 60,000 miles, um, it definitely can be a consideration. Uh, there is a big disparity there, but um, that does not contribute to the factors that you're alluding to the insurance for the Marcus, I think Krista wants to talk on the liability of that. I also. Uh, yeah, it's certainly uh, we would have to um, we would have to address myriad uh, potential liability issues. But I think the larger concern, the overriding concern um, uh, that Mr. Manius has put forth, is that it would really be cost prohibitive. We would be looking at spending fifty eight point five fifty eight thousand five hundred dollars for a hundred thousand miles driven um, before taking into consideration. But you're not adding in the maintenance costs. You're not adding well, that, in the insurance costs. No, I, that I understand. understand. So that, that is, is factored into that, the that, That's factored into the cents per hour you get reimbursed. Per mile. Per mile. Yes, yes, yes I understand is. that. I mean, that's it's not a novel idea. And no, you're, you're, it's certainly an option, Supervisor Calloway, and I think especially for some, you know, for certain positions, certain job functions, you know, I obviously don't need a county vehicle. If I'm driving somewhere in my personal vehicle for county business, I get reimbursed at the IRS rate. You know, there's a lot of different workers um, who we want to, for lack of a better, look official, right, and be showing up in a county vehicle as opposed to whatever their personal vehicle may be. So there are also, you know, sort of non-economic factors at play. I think I just feel, having spent years on this board, on this subject, that we are backwards. And, that, and I really look forward to seeing something that's a little bit more progressive um, and not, well, that's what we do. And oh, I want an emblem on my car. Then get an emblem and slap it on the side of the car. I, and I just think, like Supervisor Garamendi said, I want to see something creative in housing. Well, I'd like to see something creative in the fleet. We've talked about it before. Can the building department and planning department share vehicles? If admin needs a vehicle, can they get a vehicle from the building department or planning department and environmental health without owning vehicles. We don't seem to have a mechanism to share the resources. Very expensive, as you pointed out. And um, I really like the idea of trying to <clears throat> go to electric vehicles where possible and charging stations for the public as well while we're in the process. Thank you. Supervisor Stoppin. Um, I have uh, two, two questions for Mark. You know, with, with the leasing option, I was talking to a company not long ago and they're, they're having trouble ac acquiring um, other vehicles. And something in the conversation we went for with is, uh, if you're only buying a couple, like five vehicles at a time, you're going to have a longer wait time than somebody that acquires four or 500 vehicles at a time. They get put forward on the list if they're buying more vehicles. So with a lease option, you have more opportunity to move forward on some of the vehicles possibly as, <coughs> opposed, as opposed to going in ourselves and getting five at a time. Is that correct? 
We would, yes, but unfortunately, you know, with uh, Enterprise, who we have our fleet management leasing through, um, you know, they're they're at the, the mercy of the manufacturers. So when those order banks do open up, um, you know, the 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 quantity uh, that they would be ordering for multiple uh, customers, you know, would um, would be elevated, but still they're they're still at the mercy of the, the manufacturers. Uh, yeah, they would be elevated a little bit before us, though, if that were the case. So there, yeah, and, and there would we, be a better opportunity to get it, even though they're providing not just to us, multiple other entities. Yeah, so they, I mean, the, the manufacturers really look at the, the entity, you know, enterprise as a whole, um, and all of their customer base. So if there's, you know, us and Sacramento County and San Francisco putting in orders at the same time, um, you know that that provides higher volume and, and kind of gives us a little bit of a leg up in that in that area. Um, my my other question is uh, the second part of my question is uh, with with them holding back, we have new emission laws when it comes to diesels coming down as the county. We have to we have to abide by by 2024. Um, it, this leaves a lot of companies up in the air right now because they aren't able to replace those vehicles because they aren't being sold to people. Uh, are, do we have that issue with uh, with our fleet right now? Yeah. So the, if with with specifically with our leased vehicles, uh, they're all uh, gas powered. Um, with some of our um, our diesel uh, vehicles, that is something that that our road superintendent, excuse me, our equipment superintendent, uh, is looking at and working through and coming up with a plan for. Um, the biggest the biggest piece of equipment that we had that would have been an issue would be our transport truck, which. Um, unfortunately, um, drove its last drive uh, last summer. So, um, you know, we contract mm -hmm. out the, the transport of our heavy equipment, um, so we don't have that piece of equipment to to worry about. And that was our biggest concern, actually. Thank thank you. Those are great answers. Appreciate it, Mark. Um, Absolutely. I'll, I have a few more in a little bit, possibly, but Mr. Mr. Toffinelli has his light on. Okay. Well, uh, and Mark, you probably answered these questions. Uh, not so much the, the heavy equipment part of it, when, but when I think of a, a leased vehicle, um, it has a time frame on it, like generally 36 months or, or five years, and then it has a mileage cap on it, each year 10,000 miles or 12,000 miles. So, so if we lease these vehicles, and I'm assuming they're going to be something along those lines with the caps and, and the length of time, if you reach the maximum limit, on the mileage, you start paying enormous amounts of money over the mileage as you get further and further along on it. So would we, if, if the 200,000 mile vehicles that Mark was talking about, it, we end up parking them in a parking lot because it's not cost effective to lease them until the lease is up and then we can trade them in. I mean, those are some, some of the things that, that I see part of the lease. I'm not opposed to the lease of it, but I think some of these have to be worked out to the point where we're not spending a lot more because we have a vehicle that's over the mileage and and we still got another year and a year and a half to go before the lease is up on it so is it make sense to keep driving and pay this big sum at the end and not get the eight thousand that we were talking about earlier i'm just throwing the eight thousand like you did out there that it reduces that to the point where it wasn't really cost effective i think that's some of the issues that we need to look at um on the yeah. lease part of it um, so we're not getting in a situation where we end up again with a bunch of parked cars because it's not cost effective. So there, there are a number of variables with that supervisor. 
um, the lease uh, term for the uh, light duty equipment we have, and we, we're only leasing light duty equipment, not, not the heavy equipment, uh, so light duty vehicles. Um, the lease term on the ones that we currently have is 60 months. Um, I actually was on a Zoom meeting with our representative, uh, our account manager this morning from Enterprise, uh, and they're, you know, they're looking at different ways of, of doing things and helping their customers. Um, one of the things because of the, the shortage of vehicles these days is vehicles are now worth much more. Um, you know, the, the F-350 that we bought a year and a half ago is almost worth more than we paid for it at this point. Um, so they're working with some jurisdictions and some of their clients to actually turn over those vehicles sooner um, so that they can, you know, in some cases, uh, realize uh, a higher value for turning those vehicles in earlier, thereby with the, when the next vehicle uh, that's replacing that comes available, um, the initial cost is less. And we don't really actually have a cap on the number of miles. It basically would just reduce the resale amount at the amount of the or at the end of the lease term, um, so that we would receive less money back um, to put towards the next vehicle uh, that we would lease to replace that vehicle. Yeah, but in, in effect, it, it it does charge because, like you said, it reduces the value when you turn it if you're over the miles. So either way, you're paying for it, or you're getting a reduced value for it because of the miles. So you're paying either way. And uh, just a th throw out there that we need to remind, if we go into this way, uh, that some of the things that we need to look at that could be um, redundant as far as... Yeah, you're right. It does, it does look at the overall value. It doesn't look at the, the mileage cap. So the overall value at the end of the lease term uh, would be what would be the determining factor. Thank you, Mark. Supervisor Stoppe? Uh, yeah, you know, very good points, Mr. Toffanelli. I've been talking to the positive ends of a lease. You know, I haven't been riding the other side so much of it. But as we move forward, you know, my thought behind this whole process as one is that we would move more towards a hybrid version and, and accessing the availability to the best dollar that we can is, is what I, I would maybe recommend at the end of this discussion. Are there any other questions? Okay. I have a bunch of questions on electric. Okay, so as we phase into the electric um, mandate that we're going to be forced to do, um, uh, knowing that the supply and demand is going to be complicated, um, but we have a bigger issue for campus is the infrastructure to support the electrical vehicles and with the off-site. So is there a phasing program with what's currently here on campus versus the infrastructure we're going to have to put at least facilities that the county um, utilizes and, are we, and or are we also looking at partnerships? We just recently had this conversation at CTA about the concerns of putting the infrastructure on a lease um, facility rather than the own, um, especially with a short-term lease. And are those factors being considered as we go in and maybe partnering with our partners like the CTA to, because the buses, for example, the buses do come here. And, it, you know, is that another option, not just for the buses, but as Supervisor Calloway said, for the public? Um, and what does that look like? Because I, um, I don't see it happening all at once. And, you know, we're going to focus here or where the majority of the cars are, which is HSS over at another campus. And is that cost benefit to the county if we don't own the, um, and then backup supply. I mean, it just goes on and on. 
Um, so how are we going to? I I know we want to go high, we want to go electric, but there's a lot more cost that we're going to have to invest other than just a lease um, vehicle for that. Very much so, and I think that there's a lot that would need to come down from the state first before we jump too far into it to really find out what they're doing, what they're providing. Um, I think looking at locations is really important when you look at how many charging stations. I think fleet size is going to probably be your number one and getting your fleet really down to a manageable that you aren't sitting with a whole bunch of excess vehicles. And then it might be where um, HHSA, maybe it's more cost effective to just have charging stations at the government center and if they need a vehicle, they're driving to the government center with the need so close because you're right, do you really want to put charging stations on a building property that you don't own versus we own the government center, so where does it make most sense? Um, which then also goes back to the topic of you know centralized versus decentralized government offices and that topic. So there's a lot, I think it's a huge conversation that has to be had and starting here, I think starting with smaller charging stations as you put some fleet on, um, working with COG to see what funding availability is there, because um, then you also look at can the public use the county's charging stations, you charge, is it a free service? Um, our gas station is going to be having charging stations, what are they going to be doing? I've noticed that there were a couple of hotels and Murphy's that have charging stations. So what are private companies doing? So maybe our need really is for our government vehicles, not necessarily the general public. So then do you put it behind a fence? Do you not put it behind a fence? It's a, it's a very, very big, big it, it, it is, and you don't know those charging stations that are being put in there, whether they're rapid charge or not. It, it could be you have to be parked there for eight hours, so they charge overnight. And, and then the fact that you talked about government center prop or government property for our charging stations here at government center, I, I don't think that's going to work. We had this discussion at COG because a lot of the electric vehicles, as you go up country and higher you get, they rapidly lose their charge. And so we don't want to have an employee call us at like 4.59 and say, hey, I'm stuck, I lost a charge, somebody's got to come get me or what have you. So there's going to have to be charging stations that, are, that we have to put in, in different areas to allow for a charge to be done, uh, especially rapid charge. They have chargers now that they can they charge like in 10 minutes and boom, you're on your way. Um, the cost of that will be up front significant, uh, significant, but the cost over time, because we're not paying six bucks a gallon for gas or whatever, uh, or diesel, um, we would recover those costs because we're just charging and the charging station would be going. Although we'd be paying uh, uh, CPPA or we'd be paying PG&E, wherever they're at or located at. But those are things that we need to look at. It's just not just putting here a government center. It's going to have to be strategically placed on where the most active parts of our fleets go in order to get recharged in an area that we, they know they can make and get to and be charged and not stuck and we're continuously getting phone calls because there's no charging station where they're at and they've used that charge. So there's a lot of things that need to be covered here. Well, I think right now the requirement for electric vehicles is they only have to go um, 50 miles on a charge. That's the only requirement right now. Where come 2025, they're going to make that requirement you have to have at least 150 miles on a charge. So that's another thing when looking at electric vehicles and implementing them in the fleet. Does it make sense to put a vehicle into our fleet right now that will, let's say, get six years, that is only getting 50 miles of charge right now when we live in a rural county that has 
a lot more mileage to cover, where maybe holding off closer to the 2025 where vehicles are coming with that longer charge because it makes more sense. So they can at least get to their destination. We know there's a charging there so they can get back. Um, it's, it's definitely a lot more challenging for a rural county. Um, 100%. That 150 mile charge, it's on flat land where they yeah. charge. It's um, not, it's, it's not our county going up. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, and, and all the charging stations you mentioned um, that it, on the outskirts uh, in and around the county, they are not necessarily going to fit the vehicles that we have. Mm -hmm. um, using Murphy's, um, for example, I think they are Tesla. So unless we're getting a fleet of Teslas, even in Copper in Town Square, we're not going to be able to, you know, charge it. So those, while I love that they're out there, I don't think that should be a depending factor for the county when we don't know what kind of vehicle we're actually going to be getting because it's not going to be compatible. I don't see us getting Teslas. <laughs> it would be impressive. <laughs> Please, here we go now. Yeah, Dr. Tesla. Sure. <laughs> uh, Supervisor Calloway. Is that? The reality, I mean, the rule might be 50, 50 miles or 100, but that's not the reality of the vehicles that are being sold. The majority right now, yes. Now, I believe it's mainly the Tesla is the only one that's above and beyond that um, and the charging times. Um, so it, it's just because Tesla is so popular and you hear all the benefits of that, that's what you think every electric vehicle is, but that's not the case. And then on average, most homes, um, and this is just on my research, so I'm, I'm limited to the articles that I've read and the research that I've done, um, but on average, um, you're getting 10 miles per hour charged if you're just plugging into a level one um, charger, if you're plugging into a level two, I believe it ups it to like 25. Um, and then it's the fast one that Tesla has. I think there's some other fast ones out there where you get um, 10 miles per minute. But on average, you're waiting four to six hours um, for a normal charge on that vehicle. Tesla has a 10 minute charge, um, rapid charge, and you can get up to 150 miles on that charge, 10 minute charge. Um, I mean, I don't know, my neighbors have a Tesla and they get 400 miles on a charge so I mean that's that they're plugging overnight I think if they're on the road I think depending on how far they get and I think that's where you get people that stop along the way because they'd rather you know drive 200 miles and stop for 20 minutes versus drive the full 400 and then have to stop for an hour um, but Tesla is one of the more aggressive with the fuel or the economy that it get the mileage economy that it gets per charge um, what, oh, I'm sorry. What about the <clears throat> hybrid vehicles that, you know, that are gas and battery operated? So currently, um, I know HHSA has hybrid uh, Ford Fusion models, but my understanding is that we're moving towards uh, zero emission vehicles, so electric vehicles as a whole. I see the sheriff is online. Yes, I am. Thank you. Um, good afternoon, folks. Uh, I have a couple of questions. Number one question is, 
Um, have you guys looped us into this? Um, when I had talked to Krista about the uh, maintenance program, we never talked about um, uh, leasing any vehicles. Um, and I don't know if Kathy Gomes remembers, but uh, Rebecca Callen back in the day, we had leased vehicles and it was a uh, not a, a good money issue for the county. It was not cost effective at all for what we do. So I'm kind of curious as if um, if you guys have looped us into this, and if so, I have a few comments I'd like to make. So, Sheriff, I'm, I'm just, uh, Krista here, I'm just going to interject. So, um, I defer to my staff in terms of what their communications with uh, your department have been. However, um, in terms of uh, your Sheriff's Department vehicles specifically, what has been primarily contemplated would be leaving those out of uh, the initial leasing program and um, instead addressing those issues and the policies and procedures that would apply more or less to countywide vehicles. Um, that said, um, I hope I haven't misspoken here. Um, I do want to, uh, to defer to the team. Um, Uh, that is correct. Uh, what Krista stated is correct. We are, our thought is not to include the sheriff's vehicles at this point. Um, of course, if the direction of the board is different, we'll definitely run with that direction. Um, we, did, we did reach out uh, in terms of looking at the number of vehicles the sheriff's office does have, um, but we did not have any communication directly with your staff. Okay, I appreciate that. Uh, the other thing I want to... Um, just bring to the board's attention. I know we're talking electric vehicles. I know Ford makes an all electric vehicle now. Um, the problem is, and Gary hit it uh, very correctly, when you start driving the way we drive, as hard as we drive and with the hills, um, you're not gonna get 400 miles like they say they do, uh, number one. I've talked to a few departments that are using some electric vehicles and they're quite a bit less. Um, than what is advertised for the general public. Um, and number two, I certainly don't want to have a shooting or something going on and saying, yeah, time out, bad guys. I got to stop and charge my vehicle and run back to the sheriff's office to get another vehicle. So uh, this isn't a, something that we're addressing with the governor's office, uh, State Sheriff's Association, because this is going to be a huge concern come 2035 when, or 2034, whenever it is. Um, gasoline banned vehicle program comes into play if that actually happens. Um, it's for rural counties, it's a huge issue um, that we cannot run a gas vehicle. Um, that's just for the electric side. Um, I'm all about going green if at all possible, but I just don't see that happening right now until they get some better technology with the vehicles. Um, and back to the, the lease vehicles. Um, I can sit down with the CAO's office at another time if you want and talk about the, the program that we talked with um, with Enterprise um, quite a while back. Uh, and it's, it's not feasible, but thank you for leaving us out of it at this point. Um, and then I know um, we don't have vehicles really to share because the vehicles that we have that are grant vehicles are specific to uh, patrol um, and some other uh, and some other areas. Uh, so I, I just, again, my concern was whether we were involved in this because I hadn't been talked to. So uh, 
thank you for your time. And any questions if you guys have. Understood, Sheriff. Thank you. Can the Bearcat be an electric vehicle? No. Oh, it is electric. I didn't tell you that. I supervisor stop it. Um I you know, I recently looked at the Fords also, uh, Rick, and it's you know, you're absolutely right. Highway miles for three hundred miles are completely different than the amount of energy it takes to drive up and down the hill, especially if you're carrying cargo, towing a trailer or anything else. So it's not even functional for me quite yet, although we we would all like to go greener sooner, you know, no pun intended on anything any other issues. But uh <clears throat> you know, and from what I'm hearing right now and them saying to Sheriff that we're the intention right now is to let them continue without going to lease is I kind of hearing that you're already suggesting a hybrid or you know it's, it would have to be a hybrid. We're researching and right. I think that's really where that needs assessment comes into to really again just see how many vehicles we have just sitting what really are the miles um, as Marco spoke to, we did. I did email um, all counties with fleet to just get a generic, just overview of their fleet. Um, but it was really just a high dive, just to kind of get our feet wet. Um, I think there's a more in-depth analysis that could be done. And yeah, on our research, Marcus and I both really kind of liked that hybrid model and felt that it would lessen the fleet management or the fleet um, footprint, and thought it could be managed. Um, Kind of status quo right now with no additional staff needed to create kind of a pool from a generic you know just looking right now um start into it um so we wouldn't be looking at changing every department into a pooled vehicle and having to manage um, we talked about the grant funding the different non-general the special needs the sheriff's is definitely special needs we would even have to talk with like probation because we kind of considered that special needs. It doesn't mean every general fund, but you know, from a high look, administration, facilities, building, planning, all of them, you really could probably look at a hybrid model. Thank you. Good answers. I appreciate it. I see Corey's been patiently raising her hand. Good morning, Madam Chair, members of the board, Corey Allen, Health and Human Services Agency Director. Uh, this is the first time hearing of the, the exciting uh, opportunities that you're looking at, um, but I do also notice a lot of reference to the vehicles here at the Health and Human Services Agency campuses. Um, I simply want to just put out to the public that there are over 200 employees that utilize that significant fleet, and the type of work being done cannot be accounted for in a daily uh, anticipation of what we're going to use on a vehicle. Uh, Wendy Alt's team at any moment can be called to manage a critical need of a person in crisis. Our child welfare services team would need a vehicle at a moment's notice to respond to child abuse. Uh, and I can go on and on between our veterans team and their response to the community, um, the public health team in response to certain uh, emergencies that come up. So I do anticipate that with Marcos's ex experience in health and human services, he's also uh, analyzed that. And uh, of course, as mentioned before, grant funding and, and so forth. So, but thank you for, for bringing this out to the public. I'm just glad to be hearing this information. Thank you, Corey. Uh, Supervisor Gramendini. 
Um, I, I would just wanted to comment uh, to share. I support the hybrid model too. I don't think we really want the sheriff driving around in a smart car, um, trading his F-150 for that. Although it would be a sight to watch him figure out how to fold himself into that small vehicle. <laughs> I'd like to see him drive a smart car. Are there any other board questions or comments? You guys did a really great job with the presentation today. I think you're on the right path from what you've heard from most of us. Um, and I look forward to seeing what you guys have to bring back. Um, with that, I am going to allow for public comment. I don't believe we've done that yet. No? There is no public comment. Okay. Thank you. I, um, I think this was informational only. And direction, you know, I think you've got your... Are there any clarifications you guys need? I think by the end of the year, we'll bring policy and procedures forward, kind of looking at that hybrid model and see what we can do. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. We're pretty much getting wrapped up here, huh? So next on the agenda is supervisory announcement. So I will start to my left with Supervisor Carroll. Oh. Sorry, may I interrupt for just a moment? Yes. I just wanted to read item number 18 into the record, just so it's on record and that it was withdrawn by the department. Is that yes. okay with you? Yes, please do. Thank you for correcting me. Item number 18 is from Economic and Community Development, a discussion of the Central Sierra Broadband Roadmap, draft final report, survey results, and recommend next steps. The item requested that it be withdrawn, the department requested that the item be withdrawn and brought back at a future date. Thank you. That I'll start with Supervisor Calloway. This Saturday is Earth Day, and there'll be as a tradition um, an event at Utica Park and Angels Camp. And Monday is Central Sierra Child Support Meeting that Supervisor <coughs> Tuffinelli and I will be at. Thank you, Supervisor Grimaldi. Thank you very much. Uh, we have a uh, UMRA meeting on Friday. And I will be meeting with the Insurance Commissioner uh, Lara and representatives from Amador and Sacramento County and Rancho Marietta to follow up to the meetings that he had here, I guess, 18, 24 months ago, actually right before COVID, about home insurance. And I'll report back if there's any good news from that meeting. Thank you. Vice Chair Tofanelli? I have nothing to report right now. Supervisor Stopper. <clears throat> Another reminder of the 22nd annual kids fishing clinic saturday may 7th 2022 from 9 a.m to 1 p.m it says grades first through eighth but if your kids four and not going to school i'm i'm all right with them showing up please bring them uh it'll it'll be um <clears throat> on the so south algiers road at the you know behind the murphy's park at at the park or behind the Murphy's Hotel at the park. So please, everyone show up, and if you supervisors want to volunteer your time and help some kids out having a good day, please show up. It's a good time. Will there be food available? I'll be slinging hot dogs, brother. There you go. <laughs> There's some logs in the creek. Can the Fish and Game Commission help pull them out? You, you you cannot uh, did volunteer your time uh miss callaway 
I will talk to them, but uh, you know, um, I don't know what we're voluntold. So we'll, I mean, we'll move forward. Waiters, and you have waiters because you're fishing game. You should be able to get in the creek and pull these logs out. Tell you what, I'll stop by the Murphy's Hotel and leave a couple dollars in your district on the way out. Thank you. I just want you to pull a log out. Whatever that means. And I have nothing to report. And with that, uh, I think we're at the end of our, our meeting, and we will see everyone next week. Thank you.